0: I right. invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy, chapter 6. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. The title of the message is, The Battle. I moved here in the spring of 2001 and moved here ahead of my family as they were finishing school and selling the house and that sort of thing. I was already here and um, went to dinner a couple of times a week with a family, Don and Debbie Randall, who Don's a trustee at the chapel now. They had moved down here ahead of us. I knew him from North Carolina. TV just made noise. (laughs) That's all right. Uh, Did y'all hear that? Good. I thought maybe I was going crazy. We're having another battle. Did you hear what? Thanks, God. So I'd go to dinner with the Randalls occasionally a couple times a week, and I I remember one time asking Don, I said, well, how's business? And he kind of just kind of kicked back in his chair a little bit, and I knew something important was coming. I knew this was going to be... A truth bomb was about to get laid on me. He said, you know what? No matter what business you're in, it's a battle. I said, let me write that down. Let me get a piece of paper and a pen, and I wrote that down. And it's true. No matter what business you're in, there's times it's a battle. Anybody feel like you... You don't have to raise your hand, but if you fought a battle this week, anybody feel like maybe at work, or family, or relationships, or you've just battled a little bit? Or well, more important than that is, if you're a child of God, you're in a spiritual battle. And I think what's scary sometimes is some people are in a battle and don't know it. I had a man that I respect told me one time, he said, my wife and I have never had a fight. I thought, that sounds great because they've been married a long time until I spent a little more time around him and realized, you've had fights, you just didn't know it. (laughs) And so if you're a Christian, you're going to be in the battle. There's going to be times that we encounter the enemy and he's real. In fact, he's very powerful. He's more powerful than you are and yet, we're more powerful with Christ. So this morning we're looking at the battle, and the last thing I want you to see at the end is the majesty of the God that we serve. So don't dwell too much on the enemy and the battle, but we got to start there. So Paul writes Timothy. You know, when, when Paul wrote 1 Timothy, he didn't know there was going to be a second Timothy. And so toward the end of chapter 6, this is kind of the culmination. This is the final thing that he's about to say. And so he wants to talk to Timothy about the battle. And I want you to know we, we have a real battle. I had a call from a youth pastor one time that said, I want you to come over and help me with one of my students. I, I want to pray over him because I'm afraid that, that he's being influenced too much by the enemy. And he, he even thought he might be demon-possessed. I went over and, and prayed with this guy, and I said, "I want to quote a scripture for you that often gets misquoted." And the scripture is James four seven. And as soon as I said James four seven, the youth pastor quoted James four seven, except he missed the important part of James four seven. He quoted it and said, "Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you." Anybody ever heard that verse? There's four very important words that before that in James four seven, and a lot of people skip that. I've seen it on. Signs driving down the beach. I about want to swerve off and get over and say, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You can't resist the devil if you haven't submitted, therefore, to God. So when Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, we're in a battle. And so he's got three words for him. That one is to, to pursue. The other is to fight. And the last, he gives them, them him a challenge. So let's look at that. Let me read the passage for us this morning. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. To him, be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, flee from these things. To flee It's an intentional act. It literally means to run away or to vanish, become a fugitive. And it's present tense which shows continuing action. So not only is Paul saying to Timothy, there's some things you need to avoid. There's some things you need to shun. You need to quit playing with. Run away from them. Men and women, I'm saying the same thing to us. There's some things that were part of our life before Christ. There's things that are part of the culture we live in that we need to run away from. We need to shun. We need to vanish. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying flee from anything that pulls you away from God. Now what are these things? He's been talking in this passage about some things. And the last thing he says right before verse 11 is verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You ever heard that before? I've heard people say money's the root of all evil. No, money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, flee these things. It's what he's talking about in the passage before that. One of them is just an unnatural love for money that that becomes the thing you pursue, the stuff of this world. So Paul says, flee from that. The other things that Paul says to flee from are sexual sins, idolatry, and here, the love of money. How can we flee from stuff? Well, one, we've got to be smart enough to see it coming. One of my favorite letters or books is James, written by James. James says in there, James 1.13, "'Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself will not, cannot tempt anyone.'" Listen to verse 14. This is where it gets pivotal and important. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. What's James saying? James saying you ought to see it coming. We sin, the beginning of sin is, is we're carried away. Instead of pursuing God, we're going to get to the word pursuit in a minute, instead of pursuing God, we're still fleeing and we're still pursuing the things of this world. And he said that's when sin happens. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's where we stop, the temptation. Is it a sin to be tempted? Okay, nobody's shaking their head. It's not a sin to be tempted. How do we know that? Because the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that you are, yet without sin. So what James is teaching is we're tempted when we're carried away by our evil lust and our eyes are taken off of Christ. And if we don't stop it there, a birth happens, and that birth leads to sin. So Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, here's how you live, young man, in the faith. Flee from anything that keeps you from following God. And then pursue. So I title this section, really, Pursue. Here's what you're pursue. Don't focus on what you're fleeing away from. Focus on what you're pursuing. You're pursuing God, and to pursue God means you turn your back on the stuff of this world. So Paul says, Timothy, pursue. Run towards. Why do we need to be taught to pursue these six things that Paul's about to say to Timothy? It's because none of them come naturally. The Bible doesn't say, ignore the devil and he'll flee from you. It says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So part of resisting the devil is to flee from those things and pursue the things that Paul's about to unpack for Timothy. First thing is righteousness. Timothy, pursue righteousness. That goes against the grain of the world. That's not what's going to come natural. And yet righteousness is justification before God. It's right thinking that lives to holy behavior. And it's really kind of an inward, excuse me, it's, it's outward behavior. Righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. This is more internal. This is where we want to be more like God. One of the things that God began in your life when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior is He's conforming you to the image of His Son. You ought to be looking more and more and more like Jesus and less and less and less like the things of the world. So pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue faith. Literally, moral conviction. Faith is confidently trusting in God for everything. Hebrews... 11.1 11.1 one says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I talked about faith a little bit last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But faith, a lot of times, not by what you see. One of the best pictures of faith I ever saw happened in the Walmart parking lot off 544. A lady walked out of a restaurant. There's a place there now that's a restaurant with something different than them, but it's right away from Walmart in that same shopping center. And I noticed when she got to the edge of the sidewalk, she was visually impaired. I could tell she couldn't see but she was by herself and she walked right to the edge and there's cars coming in either direction and i'm on the other side of the cars thinking i got to get over and stop this lady from stepping out into traffic and i couldn't get to her because cars are coming about that time two women walked out they had paid the bill obviously at the restaurant walked out one of them grabbed one arm one of them grabbed the other arm just lady stepped out without even thinking about it and crossed safely and i thought wow god that's faith She didn't cross in the traffic until somebody was holding on to her that she knew and trusted. She had known these ladies. They'd never sailed me off the edge of the earth yet. And so I'm going to step out and know that they're looking out for me because I can't look out for myself. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. The longer you walk with Christ, the more your Christian life is going to be about faith and not just what you see. And it's not blind faith because you know God. You may not see what's around the next corner, but God does. And so you step out in faith knowing He's the one holding you. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, pursue faith. Also pursue love. This is that Greek word agape. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. God loved us first. We're also to love God and others. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He gave him two, really. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? If we do those two things, the rest of the commandments will take care of themselves. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, pursue love. Have you ever thought just how much God loves you? Here's the thing that blows me away. God knows me better than anybody. So he knows the bad stuff as well as the good stuff, and he still loves me. Isn't that good news? Romans 5.8 said God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is even when I was walking away from God, I wasn't pursuing the things Timothy is being encouraged by Paul to pursue. I was still messed up with the world. And yet God loved me that much. So for Timothy to pursue love, we need to pursue the same kind of love that God has for us. And then he says, Timothy, pursue Perseverance. This is that cheerful endurance. In fact, the word literally means to remain under. There's some places that God puts us that we're to persevere there, not run away from. Pursue perseverance. It enables you to stick to what God's called you to without having to count the cost because you know God. So Timothy, pursue perseverance. And then pursue gentleness. Now, this is an odd word because in a minute he's about to tell them to fight the good fight of faith. How are you going to do that if you're being gentle? In fact, the word gentle used here is a different word that's normally used in the New Testament. The word gentle is used other places, but this word kind of sticks out. It, it literally means to be mild or humble. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. That's, that affects how we treat other people. I'm one of those that I thought, it's nothing about my life. It's gentle, you know. My wife has things that when we wash them in the washer, you wash them on the gentle cycle. And you use detergent like Woolite. There's not a thing in my wardrobe that needs Woolite. I need I need a detergent that's going to get in there and fight for me. I need Borax Mule Power detergent. Some of you have never heard of that, but that used to be a detergent. I don't even know if they make it anymore, but it's Borax Mule Power. When you're a guy walking through the aisles like, yeah, I want that. God calls us to be gentle. And so Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, pursue gentleness, Timothy. Now, what was Timothy doing for a living? He was a preacher. And Paul tells him to fight the good fight in just a minute, but in the way he fights is to be gentle, humble. In order to pursue these things, because let's take it from Timothy to us, in order for me to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance and gentleness, I've got to come to a decision that God's good and that He's enough for me. The reason that people are pursuing the things of this world is because they don't really believe God will give them what they really need. And they think somehow I'll be satisfied by the stuff Paul's told me to flee from. So you come to a decision, God is good. And what God wants for me is good, it's for my best. So I pursue those things. Then, Then Timothy gets, Paul gets to the fight. Fight the good fight. The word literally means agony, it means to struggle with an adversary, it means a contest. There's a constant battle going on in the believer's life, it's with a real enemy, it's really a battle with the flesh. When Paul says, flee these things, you've got to come to the decision in your life that these are not good for you. And you're going to run away from these things so that you can pursue God. Constant battle in the flesh. Ephesians puts it this way. Same author, Paul, in Ephesians 4.22 says, In reference to your former manner of life, the stuff you're fleeing from, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. That means this. That means we're not trying to get the flesh cleaned up. We're laying aside the flesh. We're fleeing from the old stuff because that's being corrupted. It is dying. Even after you come to faith in Christ, that fleshly part of our life is being corrupted. So we flee those things. We fight the good fight. And we pursue the things that Paul's talked about in verse 11. So we fight the good fight. I don't know about you, but I don't, everybody make a fist because it's going to make sense here in just a minute. I'm not encouraging anybody to get in a fist fight today with anybody at church or at lunch. If somebody cuts you off, don't give them the fist. But here's how you fight the good fight of faith. You take hold of eternal life that you've been called to. So the way that we fight is that we are gripped onto what God's given us, and that is eternal life. You can unclench me. Take hold of the faith of eternal life. Get a grip on the reality of eternal life, the life that God wants for you. When you feel like you've got nothing else going for you, if you're a child of God, if everything around you seems to be falling apart, cling to the fact that He's given you eternal life. doesn't mean you live in perpetuity in this mess. It means there's a day coming that is better than all of this. The fight one day will be over because there's a day coming when peace will reign. But Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, take, take hold of eternal life. He's not saying Timothy gets saved. He's saying, Timothy, because you are a believer, I'm, t- I'm telling you, grip hold that fast in your walk with Christ. So take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You study this passage. Scholars debate: was this talking about Timothy's baptism, or was it talking about his ordination? And I would say yes. At Timothy's baptism—that is a public expression that I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And whether you say a word out of your mouth when you're lowered into the waters of baptism, you are identifying with Christ, who was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and you raise—you're raised into newness of life, according to Romans, and so. Timothy had made that profession of faith. He had also made it at his ordination when hands were laid upon him and set him apart for ministry. Timothy had made a profession of faith there as well. And so he's clinging to this promise of eternal life, that peace time is coming, but it's not here yet. And then last, the charge, verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, Timothy, this isn't just me that's speaking. But I'm about to make a challenge and a charge to you. I'm enjoining you to do something, and I'm doing it in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. The same Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What did, what did Jesus said to Pontius Pilate in Mark 14? You can read this in other places, but it's just a snapshot. In Mark 14, 61, it says, Jesus kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of God, the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's to the high priest. And in front of Pontius Pilate over in John's Gospel, Pilate is continuing to ask him, Are you who they claim you are? And finally Jesus says, I am, and one day you will see me coming in glory on the clouds. And for that, Pilate washes his hands and goes out and tries to divert him a different way by releasing a different prisoner but ultimately beats him and puts him to death. So I charge you in the presence of Jesus, who has made his own confession of faith, that you keep the commandment. You keep by guarding. You keep by keeping your eye on What is he talking about? He's talking about the Word of God. That's what Paul had entrusted to Timothy. That's why in 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. So two things you know about Scripture. It's inspired by God, God God-breathed, Is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God would be adequate equipped for every good work. So Paul is laying Scripture in front of Timothy and saying, Timothy, keep this without spot or blemish. Keep the commandment. How long? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived on earth about 33 years. The last three of it, he had a public ministry. He was put to death. He rose from the dead. He appeared to people over the next 40 days. And after 40 days after the resurrection, he stands on a hillside with his disciples overlooking Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. And he was taken away into heaven. And the disciples stood there with their mouths wide open. Angel appears and says, Why are you men looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who you've seen go into the clouds is coming again. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, keep the confession that you've made until he comes back. And again, regardless of how dire the circumstances get, and they're getting dark in places of the world, regardless of how dark they get, we have a hope. Jesus is coming again. And whether we're alive when He returns or whether we've gone on to be with Him before that, one day we face God face-to-face. And so Paul says to Timothy, hold on to that. Be encouraged by that. And then I love the closing. Six things about God. First, that He is blessed. At the proper time, God the Father knows when Jesus is coming back, not even Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Only my Father in Heaven knows when I'm coming again to claim my bride. But until that, understand that First of all, God is blessed, literally fortunate or well off. He's never stressed. So when things get tough for you, recognize that we are hidden in Christ and we're blessed because of that. Colossians 3, 5, 3 4, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. That's what we have to look forward to. He's blessed. He's also the only sovereign, literally remaining or sole ruler. His rule is universal over everything else, and it doesn't describe anyone else. There's nobody else on earth ever before Him or after Him that can claim to be sovereign. And that encourages me to know that God is sovereign, that nothing slips through His fingers without it being His will. That's the sovereign God that is our God. He's the King of kings. Paul lived under a king. You and I typically have not. There are kings on earth. But Paul is saying by saying king of kings, he's, he's the ruler over the rulers. And he's the Lord of lords. He's the supreme in authority over some who would consider themselves supreme. And he alone possesses immortality. God has always been. God always will be. Romans considered their emperors to be the same way. Here's the problem. Every one of their emperors were, was born. They didn't pre-exist, and every one of their emperors died. That is not true of God. He has always existed. He alone possesses immortality, and he dwells in unapproachable life. I, I want you to think about that for a minute. Paul is saying this God that we serve, this God that we worship, dwells in unapproachable I was speaking at Baylor University a few years ago, a lot of years ago now, probably 20 years ago, and there were a group of us on the stage, and we were answering questions. I don't know, a 1,000 or so students there were able to ask questions this one afternoon, and one girl asked the question, why don't we see God today? That's a great question. Several of us kind of stammered by answering our question, we were saying things like, well, you do see God. You see God in nature. You see God in other people. You see God through His Word. That really wasn't a good answer until one guy spoke up. His name's Louis Giglio. Spoke up, and here's what he said. If God showed up right now in this hall at Baylor University, we wouldn't live to tell about it. There would be a massive power outage all over this area of Texas because that's how powerful God is. He lives and dwells in unapproachable light. And we can't see Him yet. And yet He's revealed Himself. He dwells in unapproachable life, and yet He's revealed Himself how? Through Jesus, through His Word. Romans even says, even nature declares the glory and the wonder of God. So you can't claim that you don't know Him. But that's God. In fact, if you read Revelation, it talks about in Revelation, once we get to heaven, we're not going to need the sun or the stars or the moon because God is the light. And apparently by that time, it's not unapproachable anymore. We'll be able to deal with it with our new eyesight. But that is God, whom no man has seen or can see without him revealing himself. And he closes this section by saying, To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I want to close with just an application. Why, why did Timothy need to be encouraged this way by Paul? Well, if reading First and Second Timothy has told me this, First of all, Timothy, we talked about this last week, Timothy felt like I'm being looked down on because I'm young. Timothy may have been quite old, actually, when that was written, but there were older leaders in the church that looked down on him as new. Timothy also battled with his own sins of youth. Paul had to tell Timothy, Timothy, flee from youthful lust. At times he was discouraged. At times he was timid. And at times he was tempted to abandon the mission. That's why Paul had to encourage Timothy this way. So why are we reading this? Because we would say the same things. At times we feel like we're looked down on. At times we're battling with our own sins of youth. At times we get discouraged. At times we're timid. And at times we're tempted to abandon the mission. My encouragement to you today is this. Yes, we're in a battle. But God's winning the battle. In fact, actually, the battle ended at the cross when Jesus conquered death and rose from the dead. Yeah, our enemy has a little power right now. But there's coming a day when Christ returns and the battle's over. So while we're here on earth, fight the good fight. Hold on to the confession of faith. Hold on to the fact you have eternal life. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the challenge from the apostle Paul. And God, honestly, it's tough at times to live in the midst of the battle where it seems like the battle is getting worse and the enemy is winning. And yet that's not the truth. That's what our human eyes see, and yet God, you're over all of that. You're sovereign, you're supernatural, you're in control. And so God, restore our hope today. First of all, as children of God, if we know you, if we trusted you as our Lord and Savior, we can cling to eternal life because you promised to never leave us or forsake us. We can also look forward to the future and hope of one day being reunited with Christ because you're coming again. And God, what that means is if there's someone here that doesn't know you, today needs to be the day of their salvation. Will they come before a holy God and say, I recognize I need a Savior because without Christ, I'm a sinner. And apart from Him, I can do nothing. And yet He died on the cross to forgive me of my sin. And so today I ask You to come into my life to forgive me, to be my Lord and Savior. Give me that hope of eternal life and to one day see Jesus face to face and spend eternity with Him in heaven. Encourage us with that hope, Father, in Christ's name.